Hey guys and welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Liverpool. This time around it was Liverpool versus West Ham at Anfield. The games are coming thick and fast at the moment with both the Premier League and the Champions League pretty much all, all feeling like they're back-to-back couple of days apart and uh, as a football fan it's great and obviously going into lockdown we've got the confirmation that football will continue and it won't stop uh, which is a great uh, plus in every sense of the way I think from the players perspective having had a if they have a month off now it will take you know all the all the prep they've been doing for the past couple of months to get up to speed will almost be thrown out the window and as for, and for us fans as well being stuck inside it gives us something to watch as well but Going into this game, there are a couple of questions uh, from a Liverpool perspective and from a West Ham perspective that made this game very, very intriguing. Now, one of those, or the two kind of main things from a Liverpool perspective and one from a West Ham perspective. So I'll start off with the West Ham perspective first, and that was the fact that Mikel Antonio would be missing for them. He's been by far their best player kind of from the tail end of last season and the beginning of this season. We saw the goal he scored against Manchester City last week, and we saw just how much of a nuisance he can be both this season and in past seasons as well. And uh, given our centre-back issues and the centre-back injuries, it was going to be a very, very tough, tough challenge for the centre-backs. But Mikel Antonio, I think, picked up a hamstring injury, I think it is. Uh, I don't think David Moyes has said how long he's going to be out for, but for West Ham, there was a big, big, um, I guess, an issue for them, probably to them, as impactful as us losing Van Dijk is. Mikel Antonio is that important to the way West Ham play. And so Sebastian Allaire coming into the team, uh, you know, had very big boots to fill. Uh, and I'll touch on it a little bit later, but I don't think he filled those very well. And, and I think West Ham are going to struggle, although they made a very good start to the season, uh, if Antonio is out for a long period of time. But from a Liverpool perspective, there were kind of two key questions, or two key questions at least, at least I had. Uh, one of those was, as everyone was having us do, who would um, partner Joe Gomez as centre-back? There's always been talk of uh, Nat Phillips, being there, Reese Williams being there, who obviously came on in midweek uh, when Fabinho got injured. Um, and there's obviously Cumetio as well, Bobby Cumetio. Uh, I think that's how you say his name, but he's a, a highly rated youngster as well who has been around for the first team a lot. Uh, had a bit of injury at the beginning of the season, but someone who's highly rated by all the play, all the players and all the staff within Liverpool. But it was Nat Phillips that got chosen to start. I think that was probably the most logical um, choice just because he's not in the Champions League squad um, because he was expected to leave the club. Um, and actually seen some uh, some kind of reports that he was actually supposed to go to university in uh, America. But that fell through, and so he stayed a Liverpool player. And because he's not part of that Champions League squad, uh, I think Klopp will probably be using him uh, in the Premier League until Matip and Fabinho come back. Uh, but he had a fantastic game. Again, we'll talk on that a bit, a bit later on, but he had a really, really good game. And then the second one as well was, um, I was intrigued about what formation we'd play. Obviously, last week against Sheffield, we'd played with kind of four front men, uh, the usual three plus Diego Jota as well. And it was interesting to see, uh, or I was interested to see whether Klopp would stick with that or whether he would kind of go back to the tried and tested 4-3-3 that we've been playing for so long. And he did go back to the 4-3-3 with Diego Jota on the bench. And I think that was more, more about the rotation and the squad rotation and the fitness part rather than the opposition, because I think the opposition were very similar in terms of how they were going to set up against us. Um, but I think it was more kind of just the rotation piece with Jota having played uh, in midweek as well. That meant that the, the kind of usual front three started. And the game started fairly okay from a Liverpool perspective. We had lots of possession, um, passing the ball around, but not really either too quickly or without really threatening the West Ham goal. Um, and then we were hit with the sucker punch like we were almost identically last weekend of conceding a goal early, early, early on. Uh, this time from Pablo Fornals. It was a... It, we kind of had the problem again where we allowed... 
um, the opposition to cross the ball into the box. This is the same problem we had in the Everton game, which led to Dominic Calvert-Lewin's equaliser. Uh, but this time around, we let them cross the ball into the box. It didn't go to any of their players, but the clearing header from Joe Gomez wasn't very good. Uh, fell to the feet of Fornells, and he... You know, fair play to him. He expertly placed it right in the corner of the goal, uh, which meant that Allison couldn't get to it and came off the post and they were 1-0 up. Um, yeah, it was very much a sucker punch. We had had most of the ball before that. Um, but it was one of those games where we're watching it and kind of just sensing how the game was going. That it was, it was one of those games where Liverpool probably knew both going into the game and how the game started, that we probably weren't going to be doing too much defending. Um, and I think maybe some of the concentration dropped because of that. But it's just one of those games where when you aren't um, defending as much, the times you do have to defend, you have to be a lot more switched on. Uh, and that's actually when the opposition may be a more dangerous because, um, you know, you're not really fully con in concentrating mode um, as, a, as a defensive unit. Uh, and I think we kind of saw a bit of, a bit of that um, in that first goal. And after that, West Ham, you know, had something to hold on to and, and they pretty much put 11 men behind the ball. I don't blame them. They're playing five at the back. Um, you know, many teams would do, would well, most teams would do the same um, in their position. And it was very, very difficult to break them down. Uh, I think a couple of parts were, one, down to them being very organised uh, and disciplined in their defensive shape, but also down to us in terms of not moving the ball as quickly as we maybe could. Jordan Henderson trying um, what he does so best, you know, being that kind of quarterback for the team when he's playing in that kind of holding uh, midfield position with those early crosses into the box, um, but not really getting any too much too much joy with those. Um, and Junior Wijnaldum in there, enterprising, but but not really unlocking the unlocking the defense, um, getting the balls into into feet. Curtis Jones probably did more of that than Junior Wijnaldum, uh, but that's kind of what we want to see from Curtis Jones in the team. And I think this is a type of game where um, I call this a non-Wijnaldum type of game where the defence are going to sit back and we actually need someone to to pick that pass, you know, play that inventive ball that the defence aren't going to see coming. Um, Wijnaldum's there for the bigger games, I think, where we need to be more uh, structured and, and solid defensively, um, which I think is a huge plus of his game. Uh, but I think this is really a game where we missed like the likes of uh, Naby Keita, Thiago, and even Oxlade-Chamberlain in that, in that midfield positions. You know, people who can, one, pick a pass... Um, but also to kind of drive through the midfield as well and dribble past. We've seen Cater and Ox do that many, many times, but take the ball, drive at the defenders rather than taking the easy pass out to one of the fullbacks or or back inside to a midfielder or a centre-back. Um, and I think that would have made a huge difference to this game in terms of just getting the defenders under a bit of pressure because we were kind of getting close to the 18-yard box but not really threatening them at all. But we did finally make the breakthrough just before halftime uh, with a penalty, a ball clipped in from Curtis Jones into Mo Salah, controlled it really, really well um, and um, Masuaku just kind of kicked the bottom of Salah's foot. I've uh, seen some reports and, and things online of people saying Salah was you know, kind of overreacting in his response and, um, you know, was it a penalty? And, and I completely disagree with that, right? You can call me biased if you want, you probably will. But he kicked the bottom of his foot. If he didn't go over, the referee wasn't going to give the penalty and we would have looked back and gone, oh, maybe, maybe if he went to ground, maybe that would have helped him get the penalty. So I, I don't for one second blame Mo Salah for, for going to ground there. He, he kicked the bottom of his foot. If it, if, it wasn't a, if it wasn't a penalty, VAR would have overturned it and they didn't because it was very clear and obvious that Masuaku would hit the bottom of um, Salah's foot. Uh, and as Salah did so expertly against um, Micheland, I think that's how you say their name, in midweek, he scored again from the penalty spot. He seems to go for this just smash it approach, uh, which seems to be working. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ask him to change. Um, and that made it one or one. I think psychologically, 
particularly more for West Ham than it probably was for Liverpool. That was a big goal for them. I think they had it having go if they went in one nil at half time. I think they would have felt fairly good and they would have had that kind of grit in their grit in their play that they had something to hold on to in the second half but I think going in at one all they maybe felt that the tide was starting to turn and that it was kind of almost inevitable that Liverpool were going to get that second goal um, and that's kind of pretty much how the second half played out it was all it was all kind of us really um, it was us on the front foot uh, the defenders really pushing up high Allaire for nows weren't going to really challenge us or threaten us in behind so that allowed Nat Phillips uh, and Joe Gomez to really push up, which meant we, when we won the ball back, they weren't able to escape and we really could really apply that like kind of constant pressure. Uh, and even though we were, had more of the ball and we were applying constant pressure, we weren't applying pressure really on um, Fabianski's goal. We were kind of, it was kind of just possession pressure. Um, uh, and ultimately, there wasn't really uh, resulting in anything. The West Ham defenders were, playing, were, were staying pretty solid and, and playing very, very well. And then Klopp obviously made the active change to make the substitutions. And now these substitutions, we have to praise Jurgen Klopp for because these are the types of things that managers are paid so much for. Uh, the two substitutions he made won the game for Liverpool. Um, the first one being Shakiri, As I talked about a little earlier, I think we were missing that uh, kind of more creative player in the midfield. We saw what Shakiri did in, mid- in midweek with that nice little through ball to Trent before he squared it to Diego Jota. Um, but we saw again, we needed that kind of creative player in the midfield who could pick that pass, um, maybe play a through ball, maybe beat a defender um, with a quick bit of footwork or whatever. Um, and Shakiri turned out to be that man. And then Diego Jota, who came on as well, who's you know scored in, in his last couple of games, is on a, on a fairly good. Uh, run of form um, and just provided something different to the team that maybe Bobby Firmino didn't whilst he was on um, and, and that's exactly what they did from from the moment they started Diego Jota uh, had the one chance with with the goal that was rolled out uh, for VAR where he just broke from almost the edge of our penalty box just ran pretty much the length of the field uh, played it into Sadio Mane who who um, who had his strike saved by Fabianski uh, but then went in to retrieve it the ball spilled out to, to Diego Jota uh, and VAR seemed to for some reason rule that uh, as a foul I think that was kind of unfair because the ball was there to be won both from Fabianski's perspective, Mane's perspective, and I think it was Ogbonna that was there. Uh, they were all going to collide into each other anyway. It was impossible that uh, because of the speed and, and how close they were all together that, that they weren't going to kind of merge into each other. And it was just fortunate for us that the ball fell to Jota. The ball could have easily gone anywhere else. Um, and I think that would, it was kind of very harsh to call that as a as a foul because one, Mane is obviously not doing it. He had every right to go for the ball. Um, and I don't think really any of the players got the ball. It kind of ended up hitting off, off all three of them. But anyways, it kind of felt that with just over 10 minutes to go after that, it felt like, you know, um, maybe was that our chance? Was that our chance to uh, get that second goal uh, and get the winner? Had that passed? Um, but you know what? The players stayed strong. We've talked a lot about mentality monsters um, and it very much showed showed true again. Uh, Jordan Shakiri, who I've you know, just praised earlier uh, for the contributions he made in, in midweek um, in the Champions League, he did a, the, the same, exact same, almost a very similar ball actually to the one he played in midweek as well. A nice little through ball uh, through the defender's legs, perfectly weighted for Diego Jota and he was able to just play it past Fabianski uh, and get his third goal in three home games, three Premier League home games for Liverpool, which is absolutely fantastic achievement. And he settled in really, really well. 
Um, and I think I'm really I'm really excited to see how how he progresses now and how Klopp tries to fit him in the team, uh, particularly with the kind of dynamic and balance that he's basically spent two to three years creating with the kind of four three three formation and particularly with the front three in terms of how they all interact, how Bobby Firmino plays, how Mane and Salah play. It'll be very very interesting to see how Klopp kind of ch- um, uh, moves to amend this uh, and just try and incorporate Jota because when someone's scoring goals and they're scoring that frequently. You can't leave them on the bench. You just can't, you know. I'm sure he'll be starting at Atalanta um, because he's just in that rich vein of form right now. And then after that, we were able to see the game out. Um, Nat Phillips with a couple of key headers towards the end of the game uh, to just relieve the pressure. But but yeah, very much after that second goal, West Ham kind of felt deflated, uh, as you probably would. They, you know, fought all game, all 80 minutes to one go ahead um, and then, and then, then, then us equalising, and then us going ahead, and so I think a lot of the the steam was out of them, uh, and they didn't really uh, force too many chances beyond that. But now I'm going to end up with the the two things I end up end with the episode with. with one, a shout out um, in terms of who my player of the game was, and then also as we do as we end every episode with a shout out to Klopp. So the player for the game for me. Um, Man of the match that was given formally was to Nat Phillips, and I think he had a, a fabulous game. The fact that we didn't really make any defensive errors, the goal wasn't really his fault, um, and he just had a fairly solid game. I completely understand why he got man of the match, but for me, I, I wanted to give it to Mo Salah. I think he was a one player that really kind of persevered throughout the game, obviously won the, won the penalty, um, and was a big part in just us kind of trying to stay on the front foot, trying to force things um, and just trying to get a positive momentum going, uh, particularly moving forward. And I think throughout this whole season, right from the first Premier League game against Leeds, he's been that one player for us that has really shone and stood out. And I definitely think we wouldn't be top of the league if it wasn't for the role that uh, Mo Salah's played in his kind of attitude and his willingness to kind of continue to drive us forward. I think he's been picking up a bit of the slack at the beginning of the season from the rest of the front three. But I'm hopeful that as the games go on, Firmino, uh, Mane come into it. Jota, we've seen scoring more goals. As we get some of the midfielders back, maybe Naby Keita starts scoring. Uh, and then, you know, then we'll get into our stride, really. But uh, for me, it was really much a shout out to Salah um, in terms of not only this game, but also how we started uh, the whole of this season. And then finally, guys, I'm going to end with the shout out to Klopp. Uh, and actually, the shout out to Klopp is pretty much the same as what it was last week. And that was... Um, I talked about how we played with the four strikers or four kind of forwards in that last game against Sheffield United. And I actually think he should probably play it more often. And a game like this against West Ham, when the team are going to play quite deep, I think is a perfect game to play it in. The reason I say that is because I think when you have four up top, um, one, you have the option of one of those one of those four dropping into the midfield. So we could play a 4-3-3 if we wanted to. Jota or Mane can really play in that midfield position. Even Firmino can play in that midfield position if we really need to. But when we do want to play four up top, it, it means that we have kind of strikers all across the pitch and we can really stretch the opponents. Um, one, to make sure that we press further high up the pitch and we can press... Um, kind of wider across the pitch but also when we're attacking if we have players wide and players in the middle the defense is stretched which inevitably always leads to more spaces in the middle where the likes of Salah Firmino um, can get the ball and really impact the game get those scoring opportunities so that's kind of what I want to see maybe Klopp trying a little more in these types of games uh, even if it's with Divock Origi um, but just trying those kind of four forwards and those four strikers that I think will have a really big uh, role to play. But that's it for this episode, guys. Thank you for listening and thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Liverpool. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to subscribe. And if you're watching this on Anchor, if you're listening to this on Anchor, please make sure you follow. But thank you guys for listening and I'll catch you on the next one.